you're listening to The Remorseless Podcast, a podcast designed to help you figure out who you are and how to show up so you can live the rest of your life without guilt in spite of wrongdoing, which is the definition of remorseless. From learning how to read the Bible and not feel like a no good, terrible sinner loser afterwards, to dealing with things like divorce, cancer, and losing people you love, including yourself, you will hear stories from incredibly interesting, normal, everyday people who have finally learned how to get through hard situations, be okay with who they truly are, and live without guilt in spite of wrongdoing. I'm your host, Beth Fisher, and I am so glad you're here. Get ready to be remorseless. It's Beth. I am so happy that you joined us again today. And I am joined with my great friend. And I have, I, I'm so excited for you guys to hear how we met. Like, it's just always this journey, right? About how people come in and out of our lives and God's providence. And you guys will sometimes hear me refer to it as Kevin Bacon's six degree of separation. But oh, yeah. I always just love it. I always love people to come into my life and I say, tell me more about you. So, Kanita and I will talk to you about how we met here in a little bit. But um, my guest today is Kanita. You told me how to say this, Shripsma. Scripsma. 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 Kanita Scripsma. <laughs> We're going to blame her husband later. Um, awesome. Kanita <laughs> is so cool, you guys. Um, born in India, and she's lived cross-culturally uh, since the age of five, since she was wee, wee little, uh, between Canada and the U.S. And so um, has just a ton of business experience and small business and nonprofits and, you know, volunteering in various organizations. But her heart, this is, I think, what really captured me when I met her, um, and true passion is basically just to pour into the lives of women, just like you and me. And, you know, she's a published author and an international speaker. And um, all of this led her to, on her journey, open a global consulting firm where she talks specifically about diversity and equity and inclusion and culture. Like, what does it mean? Culture in the main and culture specifically within organizations and just how do we interact with one another, right? And that is where my heart is and why when I met her, I was like, oh, I got to know her a little bit more. And so um, Kanita also <laughs> has her own podcast. We'll talk about that in a little bit too. But I read her book, you guys, right here. We're going to talk about I Am Hagar, Forgotten No More. And I forgot in the Old Testament, that was, I think, the first person God spoke to. So we're going to kind of dive into that as well and and hear about Kanita's amazing journey as she shares with us all the things that got her to where she is today. So I say all the things in less than 35 minutes, right? We'll get there. Um, <laughs> it's all good. We'll talk fast. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. I'm, I'm like really, really happy you're here. So one of the things I, I wanted to start out with is I alluded to it. Do you remember how you and I met and how that whole internet, because it hasn't been that long ago. So oh. do you remember? what? Like, how, Yes, I how, do. You how, were one of the guests on the Inforum uh, stage when we had a, what's, um, a Zoom call with them. And you were one of the speakers. And when we were talking and you were on break, I quickly chatted with you on the side. And the rest is history. We're two wonderful Enneagram eights. And yeah, yeah here we are. Yeah. And that, that was the funniest thing. And you just had the smile on your face the whole time because I'm sure we're all like zoomed out by now. But I could just yeah. see you amidst, you know, all of the um, Brady Bunch sort of squares. And I just thought, I like her energy. It's weird that you can actually feel energy, even like through a screen and just through 
you know, just the way that people are um, paying attention and, and interacting, you know, nonverbals, right? Yeah. But then you reached out and, and we shared some things offline. And so we are both definitely Enneagram 8. So heart for social justice, a heart for inclusion, a heart for the mm-hmm. world. So can And you- a heart for Jesus. Oh, we can't yeah. forget that. That's absolutely crucial. The top. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Can you tell us about your journey? How, how, like, were you, would you say God made you like that from a young age or had, did you always just sort of have this heart and penchant for other people or like, what did that look like growing up for you? How did you relate to the world and know that this is kind of your calling? Thank you. I appreciate the invitation here today. Thank you so much for asking that question. It's been something that's been really near and dear to my heart, I think, over the years, especially when I do this cultural work and meet other people and step into their stories. It definitely makes me always remember mine. And so my family moved to Canada when I was five. And so um, for a lot of folks in my life, they have thought for years that I was adopted. And so let's just shut that down right now. I was not adopted. I was moved with my family. In the mid-70s, it was the idea to um, emigrate to Canada because of jobs and because of different things that were going on during that season of life. Um, So my family moved, and I went to school in all of Canada, grew up there. So, you know, you were asking me, how did I feel growing up? Have I always been this way? I don't know that I've always been this way. I feel like the Lord has really grown me in a lot of areas and taught me more about who I need to be and living into that authentic self. And so because I really enjoy doing that now, I see very significant um, stepping stones along the way and chapters in my book that are in my story rather um, that have led me to this. So I think as a child um, and, you know, growing up in my home, I was very opinionated. So perhaps the eight was already developing um, and very opinionated. I guess in some ways I was considered the black sheep of the family just because I had such strong opinions and ideas. And I kept thinking outside the box. I didn't want to be put in a box and, a lot of chapters in my life were about being put into a box. And so thus the fighting to get out of those boxes and try to be my own self, you know? Um, So that was kind of the gift I wanted to give other people in helping them feel seen and heard and eventually encouraging them to live into their best selves as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know. And I heard you use the analogy of, I didn't want to be put into a box. Yeah. And so it's very limiting. And, you know, for me, it, you always equated. I grew up very similarly, not in Canada and obviously not with, um, you know, the same sort of structure in terms of household, but with the same inner struggles and conflicts yeah. of, wait, I, I have something to say about this and I have questions yeah. and I have opinions and these other folks in my inner circle, whether it was on a playground or in a classroom or wherever I was in the world, I always felt like I had to, um, kind of hide, you know, get mm. break down, go into a box in order to make everybody around me feel comfortable. And I've learned the older that I've gotten, right? That that is why people try and put the labels and the limiting, like, hey, if you were in this box, then I'm comfortable. Yeah. I took that into my relationship with God. Sure. I I tried to say God is just this kind of God. And well, that didn't work (laughs) and still doesn't. And I'm very grateful to this day that that God operates. So did you have that experience like from a a God relationship standpoint too? Yeah. And I think for me, it was more... um, I needed a rescue. I wanted a rescue in the sense that, you know, I, w- I grew up in a great home. It was ever, my parents provided for us, but it was a dysfunctional home. Right. And dysfunction is defined in so many different ways. And so I say that simply to say none of us are exempt. There is no perfect family and we all have our challenges. So for me, I, you know, I grew up in the church, went to join the church um, as a child, but I didn't come to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ till I was about 14. And so that was that point where 
it was simply like, I just wanted a friend. And I thought maybe church was the place I could find that friend, which ended up being Jesus because that's the, the, the climate or the culture that I was being raised in. And what ended up happening over the course of my whole story is that really appreciating Christ's authority in my life and allowing him to be my father, my Abba, my dad in that respect. So for me, it was more appreciating God as um, like a father figure, but one that um, really knew me intimately because that's what I craved. Uh, He created me and he loved me equally as other believers, but he created me uniquely. And I really needed to understand what did that uniqueness mean? What was it used for? What's the purpose of it? And that became my pursuit. Mm-hmm. Did Would you say, I heard you say about age 14. Was yeah. there like a moment or that's just kind of when you things started to click for you and, and it, God in the bigger picture made more sense? Or did something actually happen like a life event? Um, yeah, well, it wasn't, I don't know that it was a life event. And, and, you know, it is that moment where I make the decision with my mouth saying that I confess that um, Christ has died for my sin. And so that moment did happen. It wasn't, you know, the, you know, just fireworks and everything. I was at a camp on an island in New York and very different. Um, for those who know me, I'm not a huge fan of camping. So, <laughs> uh, but I, it was that well and I was like, wait, Kanita, you were camping? What? <laughs> yeah, no, just for a minute. <laughs> no, okay. but it was cool because it was a three and a half week leadership development camp. And that's where I met Jesus for the first time, really intimately. Um, and that was really powerful for me that moment. But what came after that over the course of the next several years and the process by which God started to grow me and shape me and mold me to be who he wants me to be felt a little bit more engaging and realizing the need for a savior. And so, and I say that because that moment is really important, but what God has done in my story and who he has showed himself to be is so much more dramatic and so much more incredible Um, And a few years ago, I went with a friend to visit that camp. So I decided to go back to the chapel where it all happened. And I sat in the same spot in that chapel. And I was a little bit dismayed because I thought, well, isn't this supposed to feel incredible? And I was just, I sat and I prayed and I just talked with God in that space. And what was really beautiful was he was showing me all the ways that he had shown up since that moment at 14. And at this point in the story, I think I was into my 40s when I went and sat back in that seat, right? So it was so beautiful. It was so profound. And I was ready for the next leg of the journey and ready for what God was going to continue to show me and grow me in. Yeah. So it was like the highlights reel, right? You just had like this moment of you could just, it sort of all came together and you just saw that. Yeah. It's, this is how I know too. We were completely like almost two peas in a pod here because um, (laughs) I think it was like three years ago, maybe two, two years ago. And I went back to my hometown. I grew up in a really small village in Northeast Ohio. And I went back to, um, to my hometown and I sat on the same like lake, like the, this whole area of land where my best friend still lives to this day. She grew up there. We ride horses. And I just looked out over this body of, of water and went, I remember what I felt like when I was seven and when I was 12. And mm-hmm. I remember what happened in between seven and 12 and 15 and 18 and 40. And you just go, I, there's no way. I could have gotten through any of this without God. Yeah. He is just like the ultimate conductor of our lives. And we know it. we can read it. We can even experience it. But sometimes when we're in it, it, you know, we overlook it sometimes, right? We just keep going and doing the things and checking off the stuff on our list instead of saying, God showed up for me in mighty, mighty ways. He did. He did. 
And that's what I want for other people, right? And I think everybody's story is going to be different. And you've even talked a little bit about that with this Bible study that you're doing here and on your show. And just in terms of how each of us has a different story, each of us has a different approach to how we get to where we're at today. And, and God shows up very differently because he's that kind of God. Yeah. And so let's, that's a perfect segue because your book, first of all, I laughed a lot through your book. Cause I could hear your voice. I, 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 oh, I, just, oh. you know, I know you enough. I could feel like you were just like reading it to me and um, oh. I audibly hear you. So, you know, why did you, and I have never asked you this question. Why did you pick this topic? Why did you pick um, I'm not forgotten and Hagar in the, in the old Testament. And, you know, as wow, that story, you know um, when I first got into scripture and had no idea really how to read the Bible, like, well, my first thought was, well, this is kind of convenient. Like many women to deal with one guy. Cause I'll tell you, whew, some days I'm like, you take them. I can't deal with them. <laughs> but, but, you know, all kidding aside, it's like the way that God used her and Ishmael and the whole, just the, the feeling you, you can read that with such reverence and with such emotion. Yeah. I do now. And I just go, I can't imagine how she felt so uh, discarded, right. And unseen. And yeah. just, so, I mean, can you talk a little bit about why you chose that? Yeah, you know what? Um, I honestly don't think it was me choosing it. And I, and I don't say that in a glib sort of way. Um, I had been praying about what to title the book. And sometimes, you know, as a writer, and you're an author as well, so we get a title and we kind of sit on the title for a little bit, or we write the chapter with no title yet, and then we rework it to get a title, you know, so it, it kind of morphs in different ways. Um, and it, it was, I feel like it was a title that was given to me by God. Um, I was in a worship service around the time that my book was due. We still didn't have a title. Uh, we had some working titles that didn't sound great. And during this worship service, as soon as the there was a singing piece of time where it finished, and before too long, I had my phone out and I was writing notes of the potential title of the book, which ended up being, I am Hagar, Forgotten No More. And you know how in so many times in our stories, we pray for something and it doesn't really happen till like way later. And then we're like, Oh yeah, I think I kind of prayed about, you know, or yeah. it's just a thought in our hearts of like, oh, I'll just tuck that away because maybe it won't get answered anyways, or maybe whatever. Well, what I realized about the title, and this was shortly after the book already came out, but um, I felt forgotten mm. and I didn't realize how deeply forgotten I felt in my own personal self. And as much as I enjoyed writing the book, I was still kind of in shock that I was actually an author because I wasn't a fan of reading at the time. I wasn't a fan of libraries. I mean, it's a hilarious story, but bottom line, um, I think we have to cultivate our minds and our hearts that when we ask God for something, pay attention to what that's going to sound like when he gives us the answer, mm -hmm. right? And realize that he always answers us, whether it's a yes, no, maybe, wait, right? And so in this space, it became a gift back to me, just the title itself, that God was telling me that he sees me, he hears me, and I was not forgotten. Wow. And I remember when I wrote the book and was delivering it, I thought, you know, or send it to print. I just thought, you know what, if one woman gets impacted by this book, go God, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I, we've had two printings. It's in 11 different countries. Um, I've done several retreats on the book and I would love to do more. So if people are interested, find me. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's like, these are not my books. They're God's books. And God is the one who sees us. He's the one who reminds us that we're not forgotten. Oh my and I think Hagar's story, very specifically, that one little moment where she cries out to God and he hears her is the impetus for the whole book. I love that. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> That's it. And, and so I love the part where you also just said, you know, we have, if we're going to ask for something, 
we, we can't one forget that we've asked because then we often don't see it when it arrives, because here's the thing. I've not known a time in my life where I've asked for something. And one, for a lot of years, I felt guilty when I asked, like, should I be asking for this? Like, it feels very selfish, a a selfish ask. So I wrestled with that for a long time in my life over the course of my day. Am I like, am I allowed to ask God for this? And the answer now is always yes, because there's no, um, shame in asking him anything. God knows everything. Right. And it's this whole relational. So, so I, God would always prefer us to be in relationship with him and talking and asking and sharing like authentically real, like honest, um, as opposed to not talking or being in relationship, relationship with him. Well, true. And yet when you grow up in a world with, like I did with a lot of messages that said, you don't deserve it. You don't fit. You don't belong. You don't get this. You don't get like, it's just, you know, it's, you're not good enough. Those kinds of messages, right? Hello. (laughs) We can make a long list. Can't we? Um, You know, when you grow up with those, you start to believe them and they're just lies. They're lies from the enemy disguised in the form of people, well-meaning people. And those messages come and it's like, you start to believe them. And then you think that's why I think sometimes people are surprised by the answer to the prayers because they were believing that they didn't deserve it. And so, yeah. Or they know, I think stuck. that's important to me. Yeah. Or they just, yeah. 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 Cause they just go, well, well like, yeah. I, all right. I don't deserve it. So therefore I'm just going to be here. I'm not going to ask for anything ever again. And I'm just going to like take my lumps and I'm going to go about my days. And I'm going to kind of be in this cycle of misery. And yeah. that's not the story for any of us. That's not why God created. Yeah. So um, exactly. we're, we're meant to have joy. Will there be ups and downs? Absolutely. Will we traverse uh, like low lows and high highs? Absolutely. But yeah. When we are in the middle of all that, if we're in relationship and we're having those questions, yes. those deep conversations, and we say, you know, God, if this is your will, if this is something that you would, it's, it's sort of gnawing at me. It must be inside me for a reason. So yeah. I'm just going to give this a whirl. What do you think if we did this together? <laughs> yeah. Well, and what's really cool, right? At the end of the day, does it matter if it comes out of our mouth? Does it matter if that conversation happens? Mm-hmm. Does it really? Why? Because God knows our hearts. Mm-hmm. He knows what's in there. He knows what we're burying and he will eventually. And now I'm not, I'm not disagreeing that prayer is really crucial. It's absolutely important. But if you think about it, the stuff that in our, it's in our own stories, he knows already what's in there and what's buried and yeah. needs to come up. For sure. And I think one of the things, um, is it necessary for God? Absolutely not. But I think he often uses like our naming things or yeah. experiences yeah. like to show us our disbelief, right? To basically absolutely. Say, yeah. And so when we ask those questions, we are essentially telling ourselves, you know, we are worth it. We can do this. Yeah. We can do hard things. Sure. We can ask the questions. And so I love that you, you chose her because, um, as women, I think there is, I've not met anybody on my journey who has at one point or another felt completely lost. Absolutely. Unheard, unappreciated, undervalued, all of, yeah. all of the uns. And, and we just go, why? Like we, we have this inherent um, ability to love one another and this inherent ability to say, I see my brothers and sisters and I want to love them. Why are they looking at me? Like they don't even want to like spend time with me or they hate me or they don't know me right. or I have to change to make them like, like me. And it's mm-hmm. a whole downward spiral of um, inauthenticity. And so that's the part where it is. Yeah, it is. And I think that's, that's part of our flesh, right? If we're trying to feed our flesh, we're not going to feed the spirit. We're not going to allow God to do his thing in our stories. And I think that's something that I've had to learn over the years. And I feel very comfortable and confident in the space now to say, like to quickly recognize that, oh, this is a thing of my flesh. Um, no, not having that. Let God prune that. And being a little bit more intentional. Of course, the older you get, the, the quicker that, hopefully, hopefully, the quicker that starts to happen, right? Um, especially during this pandemic, it's like I'm feeling really pruned in a very specific area that's been very challenging. But yet I'm like, all right, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to trust you, God, you know, because you're always faithful. How has um, that shaped 
your view of God and your love of God and your understanding and your, your deep relationship, how has that shaped your mindset towards diversity and equity and inclusion? I mean, has it been hard for you over the course of your life to um, maybe have people in your life say, this is the one religion, or this is the one doctrine, or this is the one way. I mean, and knowing that you are sitting across the table from somebody at lunch, right? And this is like your friends and you love this person and, and they're engaging and you know, they're a loving human. Um, do you have, do you struggle with that? And like, how do you just reconcile the whole topic of diversity and equity inclusion in your overall everyday being? And then parenthetically, like how that kind of rolls into religion. I know a lot of questions in there, but do you know my underlying sort of like, is it hard to do that, to love everybody when there are so many differences? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I'm not saying, yes, it's hard to love everybody when there's so many differences, because as a follower of Christ, it has to be part of our way of doing life is to love each other. I mean, that's what it says in God's word, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And I think at the end of the day, my role is to love God and then love others. What that's going to look like is going to be different for each of us based on how we're wired, what, what's going on in our story. I think to say I haven't experienced racism would be a lie uh, that has been a part of my story, but more specifically culturalism, right? I mean, I don't have an Indian accent, but I'm very Indian. And so some people get a free pass in my story, or they think they do because I don't have an accent. So they're just going to assume different things about me, which is not fair right? Because I am very Indian. And so really looking at it from a cultural standpoint and not just the diversity, because the cultural stuff impacts inclusion a lot more effectively than it does the diversity. Let me break it down real briefly. So diversity and inclusion is often what we say, or we'll say diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? The D, E, and I. And I think that a lot of folks are really excited about and want to engage in the work of diversity, but it's the inclusion piece. And that's what I've learned very clearly living in this country for about 28 plus years and recently becoming naturalized um, that we aren't doing a great job on inclusion. And part of that is because diversity is a great buzzword and it's something that everybody wants to celebrate and it's great, but it's only half of the work. The real work that lasts a lifetime is inclusion. So what does that have to do with my relationship with God? Everything, everything. As a believer, it's really important that I make sure my table table is set in such a way that everybody feels welcome. Why? Because that's what Jesus would do, right? Pardon the expression of just using that phrase that's so common, but really that's what Jesus would do. He would set the table in such a way, right? That everybody would feel welcome, everybody would belong, um, and everybody would feel part of the solution, whatever the solution is, although he is the final solution <laughs> and the answer. But you know what I'm trying to say. So I think from a church context, if we the people are going to be the church to each other, we need to do the same. We need to set our tables in such a way that says all of us are welcome to the table. Like This is the Acts 2 church, right? And it's every kingdom, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Okay, well, what does that look like? Well, that looks like changing how we do things so that people do feel like they fit and belong. Mm -hmm. And so now you're hearing breaks and there's squeaking and there's smoke because <laughs> a lot of churches don't quite know how to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily their fault. I think it's just a lack of understanding and a lack of information. Um, and so are we doing what we need to do to help folks fit and belong? And that's where my passion started to really grow because Somebody that did not grow in the denomination that we're part of currently um, has have had to work really hard to feel like I fit and belong. And it's been a struggle. 
And a lot of it boils down to my cultural bent that I bring to the table. And so that's the passion I bring to my work to help folks understand how to fit and belong on both sides of the color spectrum. Wow, Nita. I'm just like, I know there's a lot there. (laughs) No, no, not like, wow, there's a lot there. Just wow, my heart. Every time I hear you speak, I just, I I want to live in your world all the time because that is the world that I think we all seek and don't know how to effectively go about doing it. Like you said, that's the harder piece of it is how do we make everybody feel like they matter and they are included. And, you know, my story has been the church was the place that, like you said, you just wanted to have a friend. You went to church because you thought you'd have friends. I went to church because I thought, wow, there, there are loving people there. Um, and in many churches, there are. My experience. There was, are. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. And, and my experience was I still didn't feel very welcomed. I still felt like a, an outsider. And yeah. so that is when I, I started to get off my own sort of godly relational track and, and say, I don't know, because I, my young mind was equating the way that people inside the four walls of the church were, were treating me like, well, this must be how God sees me too. If they don't like me, oh. if I don't belong in their world next to them on a pew, cause they're looking at me and judging whatever, you know, what's going on, whatever I even just perceived, it may not have actually yeah. been you. My young brain didn't know how to fit in, but sure. I, I carried that exactly into my relationship with God. And I thought to myself, I'm never going to be good enough to be in God's arms. I'm never going to be good enough to be forgiven or loved or seen. And he's just going to like throw me in the pits of the fire. Yeah. And that's not the God that we serve. Absolutely not. Right. It's, you know, the word that we use very clearly is assimilation, right? Even though that's a term for cultural and inclusion and diversity stuff, it's also within the context of our churches where we're expecting people to assimilate and become like us because we've always done it this way. And I think that's, what's really hard. I think there are certain things that we need structure. We need good theology. We need sound theology, but when it's relationships and when it's people coming in with different gifting and different stories, right. And different pain and different struggles, uh, different successes. It's like, we have to open our arms and accept them because that's what Jesus would do for us. And so assimilation, allowing people to step into the story, but help us become more of a mosaic, you know, rather than just a melting pot. Love that image. I love that image. Thank you for those wise words. Okay. So before we um, transition to my last four questions that I always ask people, can I, can I just say one thing quickly oh, about yes. cultural stuff? I think yeah. um, we've, we've uh, organized a workshop that's a short virtual workshop that we can do or an extended one for folks to um, learn how to become more part of the solution and be more culturally aware so that they know what they're bringing to the table and how they can um, be empowered and equipped for the road ahead. I love that. I will put that in the show notes for sure. So people Sounds know how good. to do yeah. this. Yeah, because we we need to know how to do that in any organization. You know, often yeah, absolutely. Go into, it's palpable. It's like you can feel it when you walk into a welcoming room. Yes. You know that, you know that you're in a, a room that sees you and, and wants to say, come, come talk to us. We, we want to know yeah. more about you. And then the inverse of that is true as well. When you walk into a room and people say, Ugh, that why, why, why is she here? Uh, same, same with culture within an organization, organizational structure. You know, when you walk into the lobby of an organization, how welcome you really are. Like I get yeah. that right away. And so, you know, that that carries top down. And so I know the work that you do. Um, really helps to, I know the word is overused, but deconstruct the way that people have always done it. Why, why do they always do it this way? Well, I don't know. But even, even that, even that, right. Not just, and now that we're in a pandemic, we're not going into churches. A lot of us are not going into the building right now. And this is not to say that those that are doing it is wrong. It's just simply a lot of us are not doing that right now. And so the challenge has been, are we still stepping into the mess with somebody else? Are we still stepping into their messy stories or are we expecting them to come to the building and then we'll notice? 
right? We're all experiencing mess and that's inclusion right there. If you're willing to step into the mess with somebody and really be part of their story and hear them, pick one person. You don't have to pick 15, pick mm-hmm. one person, practice inclusion with them. Mm-hmm. So, sorry. No, <laughs> I can get a little passionate no, about that. Sorry. Don't be sorry because I mean, I, oh, you're right. Right. stepping into the mess. I think right now- <laughs> it's your show. Most of our households are messy, right? I'm like, yes, oh, they are. Gosh, our I stories can... are, yeah. Yes, but especially mm-hmm. now in the pandemic and isolation, isolation can make us see ourselves differently. I'm like, yes, yeah, I don't have fresh air. I don't have my schedule. I don't have my external people. And we're eights, we're extroverts. So we're, where are my people? <laughs> yeah. And so when I feel like penned in, I feel like I'm in that box that we talked about. I'm like, yes. oh, I'm like a rat in a cage. I need out a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, yep. And that's oftentimes unfair the way that we show up, like you said, in our stories, when people who are in our households or- yeah. Whoever we are in our sphere, they don't operate like that. So then right. it's like, oh my goodness, I have to be received in a way that is not what I'm feeling. <laughs> like it's just yes, oh, I, dance. I did a I did a women's event one year, and I brought up the four letter F word that women like, that people like. It's fine, fine, just the word fine. <laughs> it got a lot of raised eyebrows, and I was like, okay, moving on. It was a great event. <laughs> it worked out my, great. My eyebrows were like my kind of my kind of people. <laughs> Well, right. And that's when you talk about like your book and you said how the, the chapters wrote themselves. I know that when I was writing my book too, and I struggled because I like the four letter words as well. I like fine, but I also like other words as well that are also fine by me. And so, but it was interesting because I was published through a Christian publisher and they said, you're funny, but you can't use those words. And I'm like, well, why not? Because those are my authentic words. They just roll right off the tongue. I'm Italian. I have a little bit of a temper. I don't, I don't bring people down with them. I, at least I, I didn't think that I did now. Sure. Yeah. You know what they said, totally. What they said to me was, look, is your your goal to tell your story or is your goal to bring people to Jesus so that women will know that they are loved and valued and have, I'm like, well, that one, of course it's that one. And so that is what I know that your heart is for. It's always been the second that I saw you across the screen, (laughs) each other in person. I was just like, this woman, you really do. You, you lift everybody in your proximity up. And you are the most, one of the most inclusive people I've ever met. So thank you. Your, your spirit is shining. Oh, like it always does. Blessed to have met you as well. Thank you. This has been a treat. Yes, yes, yes. So last four questions of this show, as you guys know. Okay. Sounds good. Anita, how do you define God? You know what? I define him as my driver Mm -hmm. uh, of my story. I define him as all having all authority in heaven and in earth. And yet he created me uniquely and he loves me equally just like he would other believers. So driver. he's my ride or die. <laughs> <laughs> driver. Yeah, I love it. You're sojourner. Um, so <laughs> question two, what is the most difficult decision that you've had to make so far on your journey? You know, I think um, I was thinking of a very specific situation, but I think in general, any decision that produces greater consequences for somebody else becomes one of the most difficult decisions in my story. And by that, um, we, have a, we have a daughter that we adopted and long story short, but basically God called us to reunite her with her birth mom physically a few years ago. They are doing wonderfully. She is growing and by leaps and bounds. But if you can think about that one decision that we needed to make uh, was really riding on, are we really listening to God? Are we really paying attention? Are we really clearly hearing him? And it was every day I have a, a, a my journal is about an inch thick in the course of those months where I was really listening, I was digging deeper in the word. I was, I wouldn't say I was fasting, but I was, you know, just kind of really um, lingering on every message that God gave me. And my husband and I were both really paying attention and listening and making decisions. 
decisions based on how God was leading. And he was so evident. He was so present. And yet it was one of the hardest seasons of our life because we lost a lot of friends as a result of that process. And um, it just became really challenging, but it was the right thing to do. And I guess at the end of the day, if I'm going to do something right with Jesus, I would rather do that and be wrong with the world than be right with the world and wrong with Jesus. Amen. I had two questions after that, but perhaps I think we should end the show on that. <laughs> no. Oh. Oh, no, I'm just teasing. I actually have two more questions, but like, yeah. that is, yes, yes. And yes, right? you would absolutely rather do the right thing with Jesus every time. So thank you for sharing that because I can't even imagine um, that process of making that decision. So thank you. There, there may be a second book coming out on that topic, but you know, we'll see. Yeah. As there should be, I will encourage you <laughs> to do that. So thank you. I need you. Yes, I'm in. I'm in. So um, what, you know, my book, obviously remorseless is without guilt in spite of wrongdoing. So was there anything that um, sort of left you perhaps stuck in your journey of like living not fully as who you are? Yeah, actually very clearly. Um, you know, I grew up in Canada and moved to the States to get married um, after college and married into a culture that was totally opposite to me. And so when I moved to America, I just thought, oh, it's just bigger and has bigger problems, but it's so much more complicated than that. <laughs> um, and so I, you know, the first nine years of our marriage, our marriage was fine. We were learning a lot and growing a lot together. Um, we're in an interracial marriage and we have three bio sons um, that are biracial. And so um, just having to learn a lot about how things are done here, um, I realized for the first nine years of our marriage that I was actually playing the part of wife mm -hmm. and playing the part of good Dutch wife, where I was failing often that my husband's family is Dutch. Um, and so really realizing that um, not just the family, but a lot of folks around here uh, were really sending me messages of not fitting and not belonging. And so I concurred, right? I just wanted to be accepted. I just wanted to assimilate. So then I'd be appreciated or whatever. And I think a lot of wives go through that in their stories. Mine lasted a little longer and was a little deeper. Uh, and that was around the time where I realized that I am not living authentically into who I was created to be. And that's going to stop now. And you know what? You and I both know as eights, we're pretty determined and we make hard decisions quickly and we stick to them for the most part because that's their wiring. Uh, and so that was going to end with me and my husband was 100% on board and we started to make necessary changes in our family and in how we were handling things. And I was starting to blossom, you know, and I just started to feel more free. I was cooking Indian food. I was, you know, speaking a little bit more with the family and the kids. I was um, really diving deeper into my cultural bent mm -hmm. because that was the thing that was being pushed aside. Right. And it wasn't a race issue in the, in these relationships. It was a cultural issue. Yeah. Which when that got pushed aside, so did you, that's how you felt like, where am I in all of this? Exactly. So I love that you showed right back up and you're like, this is oh. not fully who I was created to be. So I'm back. <laughs> yes. And I will say all of those folks have been forgiven and I've moved on because without forgiveness, you cannot move on. Yes. Right. And that's what Christ offers us as well. And so it's important that I offer it to somebody else. And at the end of the day, I think if you can't give what you don't have, and so if we don't have that sense of forgiveness that we are forgiven, it's probably harder for us to offer that up. I'm not saying situations aren't, um, I'm not saying there are easy situations, to, like a forgiveness is easy. I'm saying the forgiveness needs to happen, but the healing takes time, which you and I both have talked about that. Yes. Okay. Yes. Thank you for that. Yeah, exactly right. It's like, you can't love what you don't know either. So, I mean, that's why we have to actually exactly. come and see each other. So yeah. last question, what is the one authentic word that you would use today to describe yourself? You know, when I read your question about that, I'm like, well, of course the word authentic, but apparently you're not allowed to use the same word that's in the question. 
not be redundant on this show. <laughs> I, I, I was sat with it for a minute and I just asked the Lord to give me a word and he gave me resilient, ah. resilient. Not that I'm, 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 I am an overcomer. I have worked through so much in my story and I know I will continue to, but he has allowed me to have that thick skin and tender heart where I feel very resilient. And it's just kind of that, okay, we're going to keep going forward. And that's my podcast growing forward together. (laughs) Kanita, thank you for joining us today. And like I I said, we'll, we'll put everything in the show notes as to where you can find and connect with Kanita further after this. But, um, I just want to remind you, all of you viewers, to show up and be who God created you to be because we all matter. We all have value and worth and to not get stuck on our journeys and and feel guilt and remorse and shame over things that we've done in the past because God is an all-forgiving, all-encompassing, all-loving God. So there you have it. Kanita, thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate the time. Yep. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Thank you so much for showing up and joining us this week on the Remorseless Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate it. Or share it with your friends because, you know, that would help too. If you're not yet on the newsletter list, come on over to BethFisher.com and jump on it. Because while you're there, you can also check out more about how to be remorseless. My book is there as well as the companion remorseless workbook that provides actionable tools to help you show up every day and be who you were created to be. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next week.